podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcasts app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombs show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you'll subscribe to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombs show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombs show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. A bonus episode for you. Two terrific guests coming your way. Super Bowl winning Rob Ninkovich drops by shortly to talk about his New England Patriots, talk about his thoughts and hopes for the season with the new Sheriff Cam Newton in town, as well as what it's like playing under Bill Belichick. So really looking forward uh, to getting into that very shortly. Then after that, Matthew Sherry uh, drops by uh, the gridiron. Supremo, a lot of NFL UK fans will know Matthew. Of course, uh, he's got a brand new book out, Any Given Sunday, the NFL's epic 100-year history in 20 games. So Matt's going to drop by uh, and doubtedly talk a bit of Springsteen as well. Uh, but mainly, mainly he's talk about his new book, which is terrific and well worth the read. So Matt, shortly. But first up, let's check in with Rob Nikovic. Rob, welcome to the show. Great to have you on, man. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, uh, unsurprisingly, I want to start with the Patriots. Uh, the, yeah. the Patriots now, because we're going to deep dive a bit into the past, but coming into the season, there were a lot of skeptics, I think it's fair to say, a lot of naysayers out there. Were you one of them? Were you coming into the season fearing the worst or are you quite surprised about the start they've had? I mean, I, honestly, I'm shocked that they've had such a good start. I was, I was a little skeptical of the Cam Newton move. You know, I, I didn't know, you know where he would be at after his injuries and you know, really not being at the top for the last few years, basically. So you, know, I, you never put anything past Bill Belichick. He's going to make sure that those guys – are coached up and ready to go. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, this weird coronavirus offseason helps the Patriots because of the fact that they have Bill Belichick and he's, you know, always on top of situational football. And, you know, when I watch these other teams play, it's like you can tell how, how teams are just not coached well enough to win close games. And, you know, just, you know, for example, you look at just this recent Raiders-Patriots game, And, you know, they score before the half. They get the ball back. They march down the field. They miss the field goal. Mm. Patriots get the ball. They go score. So, like, that was the swing right there. Yeah. If the Raiders would have gotten the – if they would have scored before the half, got the ball, and at least kicked the field goal, it's tie game. You know, so it's just crazy how fast, you know, things change. Once you mess up a certain situation, you can't turn the football over. And when you do that, once you turn the football over – Man, it's, it's bad news. So the Patriots are playing better than I anticipated, yes. You mentioned Cam, uh, who has had an instrumental start, really, to it. In, in many ways, he, he's the perfect choice to succeed Brady, yeah. isn't he? Because 
He's demonstrably such a different player. He's a, clearly a strong character, but again, with a, a, a guess a different approach to that as well. He's experienced, and, and maybe most crucially, he's got a point to prove. I mean, he was coming in there with an absolute point to prove. People were saying he was washed up. And as you said, we didn't, we, none of us knew physically what he'd be like. So rather than taking a, a, you know, a, a player like Jarrett Stidham or, or younger, rawer, unproven uh, type of player, it, it, it seems to be the perfect fit for both sides. Yeah, look, I mean, the Patriots haven't been able to do and run a specific offense like they're running right now because of the fact that you have Tom Brady. Now, you know, would you want to give up the Tom Brady style offense for a Cam Newton offense? You know, I think that's yet to be seen as mm. the season progresses because it's still very early. I mean, teams are still trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to figure out, you know, what are they going to be with no preseason, a lot of teams like the Saints, you know, they're still working their kinks out. So it's just odd. You don't see, you know, the Patriots running the RPO with Tom Brady. You don't see the Patriots running a power play with their quarterback. But now that they have Cam Newton, they can run all the stuff and, and they can run the things that, that Bill hasn't been able to run. And I think he's interested to run these types of plays to where, you know, defenses really have to put in their time and, and they have to make sure that they go through all the situations that Cam could do against you. And it, it just takes a ton of time preparing for a guy like Cam Newton. He's not just going to be in the pocket. You know, he's going to run around. He's going to scramble. He's going to be a ball carrier. Um, so it's going to be real interesting. I can't wait to see them play KC next week. When I look at the Patriots and the offense that they're running, it's just so odd to see them run the type of offense that they're running. But guess what? At the end of the day, it's all about running the football. And if you can't stop the run like the Raiders couldn't stop a nosebleed, they're <laughs> going to run all over you. And it, 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 Newton made that point, didn't he, kind of coming in? And that one of the first uh, – I don't think, I think it was a media op. I think he was doing a YouTube thing. And he said, oh, you know, Josh McDaniels has, has got a, a player, a type of player that he's never had before. And, of course, inevitably everybody – critics jumped on that and said oh look at this and he's big you know but it, it's a really valid point and it's gonna you know look at an offensive mind like McDaniels it's gonna it's gonna love the opportunity uh, to do different things but that's often what we hear Rob about about Cam there is definitely a, a vocal contingent that don't like his attitude and didn't like the fact they said at the time there's no way Cam's going to New England when the speculation started he's not a Belichick type of player he doesn't fit the New England uh, mold. He went, uh, Belichick won't like a player like that in his locker room, but they said the same thing about Randy Moss back in the day as well, right? Mm -hmm. and you, of course, played together in New England, uh, didn't you, you and Randy? Yeah, so look, I mean, you can't, I think that a lot of people jump to conclusions about certain um, just players' characteristics based on the media, and mm -hmm. it's really hard to do that when you know, a lot of the interviews that you see with Cam in the past are pretty, you know, much after a loss or any time anytime he's struggled and there's interviews where, you know, yeah, he'll walk out on an interview because he's pissed off. Yeah. I would be pissed off too if I lost a Super Bowl and yeah. I would get peppered with stupid questions, you know, after an emotional loss. So I don't know. I think actually, Deb, to me, that I totally agree with the Super Bowl one is when everyone focuses in on. To yeah. me, it demonstrates just how passionate he is. I'd rather he was annoyed to that degree about losing a game like that. Yeah, I mean... He, he obviously knew that he didn't play the way he wanted to play, you know, the biggest game of his career. And then you're being, you know, questioned on, you know, effort and things when you just lost the Super Bowl. 
you know, most of the time, most of these interviews where people are saying, oh, well, he might not be a Belichick, you know, or, or a Patriot type of player. It's because he's pissed off because he lost the football game. And, and look, at the end of the day, if you're an athlete and you're a professional athlete, uh, everybody on that field is competitive and they want to win. So um, I think his time in Carolina was up. You know, he was there a while. He had a few injuries. Now, nobody else really giving him a chance. I think that's kind of crazy that nobody – or, you know, you look at the list of players that are guaranteed more money than him. It, it's pretty mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, look, the Patriots win again, right, as far as going and getting a guy that's a really talented football player at a low cost. So um, I would anticipate they're going to maximize, you know, his abilities this year. And, you know, as far as him being a Patriot for many years to come, I don't, I don't know, you know, if that'll happen during the season. Uh, I'm sure those talks will happen after the season because when you're in the season, um, you know, Bill would always say I have a drawer in my in – I, in, in, I have a drawer in my office with a bunch of requests from a bunch of different people. And during the season, I take all those requests, I stuff them in the drawer, and then we'll, we'll talk about it after the season. <laughs> so I would anticipate, you know – if he continues to play well and, and is successful and the Patriots have a good season, um, you know, they would definitely love to have him for, you know, longer than just one season. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, it's game on, uh, as you said, a very early stage, early sample size. But I want to get your perspective on the, the Patriots D because like Cam invariably gets a lot of the headlines, but yeah. uh, it's the D that's in the kind of latter incarnation of, of the Belichick dynasty really defined uh, the team over the last couple of seasons, right? Last season, most notably, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of key losses, right? Some to COVID with with Hightower, uh, Patrick Chung, who locker room leaders, and then other players dealt like Carl Van Noy and Jamie Collins. So it's been a lot of change to the unit over uh, over uh, the off season. What have you made of the New Look Patriots D so far? Uh, well, number one, they got to figure out this running game. Um, you know, they got to stop. You got to stop the run. If you can't stop the run, I mean, imagine if if the play, the Patriots offense was playing the Patriots defense, <laughs> they would. Just, you know what I'm saying? Like right. they would run all over them. So for me to move up and to be a bigger contender, which, you know, you're going to have to stop the Ravens running game. You're going to have to stop Kansas City Chiefs offense like the defense has to step up in the running game. We know they can cover when you, you, their secondary is very strong. So they have great cover corners. You know, you got the best corner in the league. You got great safety play. Um, even though they lost some key guys in Hightower, I think they have the players, some younger players. Look, the, the train never stops. So uh, the train is constantly moving. And that's the NFL. That's the Patriot train. That thing is going. You're either on it or you're off it. If you're on it, at some point, you're going to be asked, hey, you're going to have to step up here and you're going to have to play a bigger role. And hopefully you're good enough to continue this, this thing in the right direction. Um, and the guys that opted out, you know, for family reasons, you know, I, I know you have to respect their decision because, you know, a lot of these guys are having babies. Mm. Um, you know, they have family things that are going on. So you respect those decisions. And, you know, Calvinoy goes for more money. You know, Jamie goes to play somewhere else for a big contract. So you can't hate on those guys moving on to bigger, you know, contracts. So, I think they have the keys in place to be better. They're going to be a different defense week 12 than they are week three, you know, and I'll go back to the Ravens game or sorry, the Raiders game, just watching the Raiders. 
you know, they're handing the ball off and it's a 12-yard gain, then they'll go and throw the ball for two incompletions. Look, I mean, when there's when, when they can't stop something, just keep running, keep running, keep running. They, they went away from it. The game got away from them, and then you couldn't run the football anymore. So mm-hmm. I think the Patriots' defense in the passing game looks strong. Um, running game, they just need to continue to work and, and improve on some things. Well, we see this year in, year out with, with, with Coach Belichick that if there is a – Every team should, uh, certainly on paper, improve as they uh, go forward and work things out. But Belichick seems to be the master at this, that Patriots teams just get stronger and stronger as the season progresses. Also, uh, kind of an associated point, we're talking about some big names not appearing defensively, so some lesser-known talent coming in. That's something else that he's a master at, is taking players from other situations, organizations that were maybe overlooked or people weren't buying into and, and turning them into to really capable players. You've worked under him. Explain a bit more, Rob, uh, why that is. Why is, is Belichick so good at both of those things compared to everybody else? Well, I think it comes down to, you know, his evaluation of players and getting the best out of everybody based on where your talent levels are. And, you know, in some teams, look, I've been in some places where they have a specific scheme and they may, and if you don't fit the scheme, you're out of there. Bill will shape his scheme around the players on the roster, which, you know, a lot of teams don't do that. A lot of teams, uh, you know, I was with the Saints, you know, they ran a 4-3. They ran a 4-3. That's what they ran. If you didn't fit that, then you weren't going to make the team. You know, then I went to Miami. They ran a 34 but they, you know, and if they had guys that didn't fit that, that wasn't that wasn't going to work. But when I came to New England, you know, you play a four three when they have the right personnel for a four three. You play a thirty four when the personnel fits for a thirty four. You're going to rotate guys. You're going to make guys put guys in on first down. You're going to take guys off on second or third. You know, whatever he feels is best to put the best team on the field with the players that are on the roster. That's what he's going to do. So, you know, this year you're seeing. Uh, a, a, a more running type offense through the Patriots. And then you're seeing a defense that has new players from, you know, new young guys. You, know, you got Winovich, Chase Winovich coming up, going to be having a bigger role this year. He's already made some big plays. Um, you know, you have other guys that are going to have to step up. You know, Bentley, Dwan Bentley from the Purdue that they drafted a couple years ago, he's going to have to step up and may have a bigger role. Um, and that's just the way it is, you know, in the NFL. Guys are gone. Other guys step up. Bill's always going to be, you know, puppet master up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, tactically, that that makes a lot of sense. Talk us through the Patriot way, Rob, because you mentioned that the Saints, you played for the Finns for a bit as well. So yep. Most of your career uh, in New England. We hear a lot about the culture and, it's, and continuity in any sport is fundamental, right? It's a success usually. And, yeah. uh, and the Patriots are the poster boys of that, right? But can, can you elaborate on, on that a bit more? So this, what is this sense around the organization? What is the, the Patriot way? How did it differ to other teams you played for? I mean, that's, that's a deep question. You know, look, I, I think that it starts at the top. It starts with ownership. Um, you know, certain ownership. Look, there's, there's going to be a handful of teams that no matter what, doesn't matter what players they have, doesn't matter what coach they have, they're just – not winning organizations. And, mm. you know, I think we can name them, right? Like, you know, the ones that aren't winning, you know, the Jets, like, how come they're not winning? Well, they've had different coaches, different players, and it just doesn't work. It starts at the top, starts with your ownership, you know, how you manage things. 
And, you know, Mr. Kraft has done a great job. You bring in the best court, the, the best coach of all time, but then not only that, you give him the freedom to make the decisions that he feels are in the best interest of the team. A lot of other places, you know, there might be, it might be draft day and the owner has some influence on who they pick, you know, that's not going to happen in New England. So it starts from the top and you know, every single year, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter your draft status. If you can help the team win, you'll be out there. If you can't, you won't. And on top of that, if you have played at a high level for a very long time, every single year, there's that little reset button. I don't care if you helped us in the past, if you played here 10 years, 20 years. I don't care. We're trying to move forward here. We're trying to build a team for this particular season. And, you know, that seems a little ruthless at times, but that's what the NFL is. The NFL is a business. They don't care, you know, about player, individual. Like, they just want the team to continually be better, better, better. Consistency. And I think the Patriot way is you see the consistency from the head coach, the your position groups, the leadership, and there's always a hierarchy of the guys that have been there a long time. They do the right things. They make the right choices. They put the team first. It's not, oh, I need, to, I need five catches in this game to, to feel good myself. It's if I don't catch the ball in this game, but I got a block to make sure that we win this game, that's, that's what I have to do to help win. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a lot of other teams, they don't have that. They have the it's, – it's more of a me selfish attitude versus what do I need to do to win? Because at the end of the day, when you can win a Super Bowl and you, you, know, you have that feeling of we have won a Super Bowl as a team and a brotherhood, those relationships last forever. Mm-hmm. And you remember and, – and on top of that, you know, nobody really remembers contracts – like no, at the end of the day, like when your career's over, nobody's gonna say like, like oh, uh, so and so made this much money or had this big a contract. It's what do you have to show for your your career? What like mm-hmm. what is your what is your resume? Oh, Rob Nikovich won a couple Super Bowls. You know, Tom Brady won a lot of Super Bowls. Bill Belichick won a lot of Super Bowls. You know, they're not gonna talk about the money thing. So I think that's why you see a lot of older guys that haven't, you know, haven't won. They just want to go win. Mm. They just want to win because, and I think Cam said it best. It's not about the money anymore for him. Like he wants to earn respect and he wants to win and it's validating your career. You want to be able to validate your career. And that's why a lot of players wanted to come to new England for the long, for a very long time. They want to validate and they want to have a career with a championship associated with it because there's plenty of players. I'm telling you, there's plenty of players that if you ask them, would you trade in some, a little bit of that cash for a Super Bowl win? And I guarantee they'd say yes. I guarantee. Yeah. 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 Once they're comfortable. Yeah. There's no, there's no going back for that. It's so many interesting points there. The whole ruthlessness of the NFL uh, in particular and, and, and uh, the Patriots and we mentioned Randy Moss earlier on. I remember, 
quite early on in my career and I, I was already covering NFL here, covering football as well. So I was doing both shows kind of simultaneously European football, right? And there yeah. been a, I don't know how much of that you follow, Rob, but um, for a long time, uh, manager of Man United, Manchester United, is a guy called Alex Ferguson, often compared to Belichick, right? Um, yeah. Very dogmatic character, presided over a, a dynasty, a, a long-standing successful team, no-nonsense customer. And almost symmetrically, at the time that Randy Moss left New England, because uh, he called out, I think, in the locker room post into a uh, post game. He said, "I'm not getting any looks anymore. I'm feeling I don't feel loved." He wasn't getting a deal, and within a few weeks, he was gone. Right? Uh, and how much he contributed? Great player. It was like, okay, we're going to move on. Wayne Rooney, who was at the time was playing uh, one of the best players in, in in England in the world, playing for Man United. Same kind of standoff. Talking to the media, mm-hmm. I'm not happy. It's not working out. I'm calling out. Uh, essentially the United coaches he stayed there he you know his deal was re-upped there and this is you know the toughest manager the English game has ever seen and that was for me a really stark contrast between the the two disciplines and really emphasizing how how mercenary uh, and and not in a negative way but just how as you say business like the NFL is more than I think any other league in in the world Um, listen man I really appreciate your time I got one more question for you Um, your old teammate Tom Brady uh seems to be settling in pretty well so far in, in Tampa. Uh, yeah. And he's got a lot more around him in uh, weapons than, than he certainly had at the, the later stages of, of his career in New England. Do you think that's what drove him to Tampa the most? If, if, if for example, New England had come in for Stefan Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins and said, look, we're going we're gonna to re-up the offense and build it around you for one last dance, he might have stayed? Or do you think this was more he had to go whatever because he wants to prove he can do it somewhere else? that's I think that at the end of the day at the end of the day when when you look at time and you're you're someplace for a very long time I think when the expectations are you win a Super Bowl every single year it's a failed season that could be very very task that could be a very very tiring and a tall task for someone to deal with year in and year out and you know I'm not a I don't know what to compare it to on your side of things, like in football, like in, in soccer, like what's the, what's the biggest thing you can do every single year? Uh, the champions league probably uh, to win that. Yeah. Okay. So imagine every single year that is your expectation levels to win that. And, it, and you basically get close and you're there constantly. You've won a bunch of times, but the stress of that, I feel like that could weigh on you a lot. and. I think the Patriots and Tom at, at the end there were just ready to, you know, Bill wanted to go in a different direction with, I'm sure Tom wanted a certain price point with how much that he feels that he is valued for the team. And I don't think that they were there with what they thought they should pay Tom because of his age. And I think Tom was looking at it like, okay, last year we didn't have the weapons that I feel that we need to go and make a run when you look at the Chiefs and the Ravens and everybody in the AFC, they have the weapons. You know, Kansas City, full loaded offensively Mm. with weapons, receivers, tight end, running back. They have it all. You know, and then you look at the Patriots and, you know, some guys didn't work out. You know, receivers, they didn't have – they didn't think the production right there or Tom didn't think that maybe this year I only have a few shots left of this thing. Mm. Let me go try with 
Tampa, and look at Tampa, you look at Tampa's offense, I mean, they're loaded with weapons as far as the receiving core. They got a couple big tight ends. Um, you know, you, you, you luck out and you get McCoy and you get Fournette, like you get some big time guys in, in the running back position, you know, so I just think it was, it was time. Tom did a terrific, unbelievable Hall of Fame career here in New England, won a ton of championships. Um, you know, six Super Bowls is ridiculous, right? So for, for Tom to have the success that he had for here for a long time, every time, look, when Tom's on yesterday, I'm watching football, I'm watching Tom. I want to see him do well. I want to see him go out there and have a great season this season. Um, you know, week one, I, th- I feel like people have been a little bit unfair to Tom. You know, he's in a new system with a new head coach, a new everything, a new s- Everything is new. Crazy preseason, totally yeah. unorthodox preseason. No preseason. Um, so I think the people are unfair in that because I still see him making great throws. I yeah. still see him throwing the football really well. So they're going to get better as the season progresses. And I think that they're a playoff team. I think they're going to be really, really good as the season continues. Tom's going to get better. They're going to have better chemistry with the receiving core. Um but I just think that, the, you know, 20 years – look, I played here for eight, and I know that it was hard to, to play eight years and the expectation levels. I mean, if you if, – think about it this way. If, if the New England Patriots don't win the division, you're the worst team in the last 11 years. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, when you have that kind of pressure – and look, this year with the Bills, Buffalo looks pretty solid. You know, their offense looks very strong. So – it's going to be a fight to the end here to see who's the division champion. I think the Patriots, based on you know having the best coach or have the upper hand in that, because mm-hmm. Bill's always going to understand. And when a game is on the line, I feel like other coaches might slip up as Bill you know gains control and wins it through situational awareness. Um, so I think yeah, I think that's what happened with Tom. I think at the end of the day, it was just a mutual like, hey, I'm. I'm here at this price point. You're not willing to go there. I know I'm 43. I know I can do it. Um, and then the Patriots decided to move to the – I thought they were going to go with Stidham, but then yeah. Cam was available, and now they have Cam Newton as their starting quarterback. This is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you're listening to the Neil Reynolds Podcast. That was the voice of Ryan Fitzpatrick. To hear more leading NFL stars, coaches, and media personalities telling us their life stories, tune into the Neil Reynolds podcast with me, Neil Reynolds. Episodes drop every Thursday, and we already have a back catalogue that includes the likes of Bruce Arians, Doug Marone, Raheem Moster, and the one and only Dan Hansis. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. The Neil Reynolds podcast, dropping every Thursday. Interesting stuff from Rob. Appreciate his time. And uh, hopefully, as he is part of the ESPN Galaxy, we will uh, have him back on the show during this season. Uh, right next up, our second guest in this bonus pod this week, Matthew Sherry, uh, coming by to talk about his new book, Any Given Sunday. Matthew Sherry, welcome to the show, man. Hi, Matt. How are you? Very good. Are we? we've, we've had a lot of Springsteen chat pre-record. We're on a Really good would, player, it wouldn't be a Nat and Matt chat without Springsteen, basically. That I mean, because going back to to our roots, uh, quite frankly, which was the uh, 2014 Super Bowl is when we first met, right? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, 
And of course, we talked a lot of football. It seems to me, actually, that every Super Bowl we hook up, we divide our time about 65, 35 Springsteen football. <laughs> waited yeah. in, waited which in is a, which is a lovely ratio. I mean, obviously, the starting point is has been in, in the, the great man's home, wasn't it, for the first Super Bowl in New Jersey? So Perfect. And we, we uh, talked then about how incredible it would be to see, to, uh, how incredible it would be to see him in, in Jersey. And that's what we were just chatting about pre-record, the brand new Springsteen album out soon. And he's drip feeding, he's teasing us yeah. with tracks and ghosts uh, is an absolute belter. So we were celebrating that. And uh, what we, would you reckon that realistically a tour in 2022? Is that? I is mean, that- I, th- I, I think so. Yeah. It sounds like we've basically COVID's ruined a tour, which is, yeah. which is brutal at this stage of, of his life. Um, because you know he's he's knocking on for seventy now, although still as energetic as a twenty-year-old. Ninety-five, he'll still be touring. <laughs> I mean, the, the the exciting part about this new album is like basically just lock themselves away in his house for five days and have spat this magic out. And like when I read the story of how the album came together, I thought, God, this it could go either way. But I, I'm betting it's going to be epic. And the first two tracks are just. I mean, sensational. It's, it's set up to be his best one in a while, I think. We need a Springsteen spin-off pod. So Ollie, our producer, uh, already very interested in that idea from, <laughs> from what I can work out. So we will make that happen. But we're not here, sadly, to, to spend our entire time chatting about Springsteen, much as we would love to. Uh, we're going to talk about you and, and a milestone in your career. Congratulations on the book. I have a copy in front of me. Uh, for those listening on the pod, we'll try and push out some of these uh, as video clips over on our social channels at the NC show. Any given Sunday, the NFL's epic 100 year history in 20 games. Matthew Sherry right at the top. Now, firstly, uh, congratulations on the book. Uh, it's a terrific achievement. I remember you telling me, speaking of Super Bowl chats, it must have been Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, you said that was when you'd greenlit it, right? You said, oh, yeah, yep. we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to be doing this. Uh, and you were uh, understandably very excited about it. But when did the idea come to you? If that was when you knew you were going to be writing it, the book had got green lit. When did you first think about the idea for it? Uh, it would have been the preceding October because um, basically I was, asked, I was asked to write a book uh, on the 100-year history of the NFL and kind of spent some time thinking about it. And right at that time, I was on a trip to the States um, for Gridiron, just taking in some college games, some NFL games. We, we kind of do one every year in in normal times, two every year in normal times, to be honest. And um, yeah, basically, Cy Clancy, who I was with, I'd mentioned to him that I'd been asked to write a book on the history of the NFL. And he said, and I was looking for an interesting way to do it. You know, I right. didn't want to just write a, a, a chronological history book. And, and he said he, he read a great college book called Season of Saturdays, which kind of mm. did the history of college football through games. And I kind of took that idea and ran with it, really. And it turned out that the book I was asked to write, they wanted literally the book I didn't want to write. So I ended <laughs> up just putting a proposal together and, and doing, it, doing it myself. And, and obviously, uh, really good for a major UK publisher to pick it up from that point. It, it was, I mean, genuinely, I've done, and I've kind of changed jobs now as well. I've got somebody replacing me as the editor of Gridiron, and I'm now essentially just a pencil-pushing managing director of a company. <laughs> so I think this will end up being the thrill of my career writing this. Um, so, yeah, it was great. I absolutely loved it. Well, as, as the subtitle suggests, taking 20 games that are either significant in isolation, like, um, like the name of Jets Super Bowl three, uh, or they operate as, as jumping-off points, right, where you could yeah. talk about a lot of themes, a lot of characters and protagonists that have, have made the NFL what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that, that was important to me, was 
I, I think because of how certain things develop, you know, it's very difficult to run a whole narrative because it's 100 years and lots of things change. And then, you know, you'd get to the point where you'd read something like in chapter 17, I think it is, where they discuss kind of free agency. If I explained the process of getting to th free agency, by the time you got to chapter 17, you might have forgotten what was in place in, in the six <laughs> chapter three. Yeah, I, I tried to kind of piece those things together. So, you know, some people might read the early part of this book and think, God, he hasn't done enough on the history of race and black players in the NFL. But there's a whole chapter devoted to that, which is surrounding uh, Doug Williams becoming the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. So that was important to me. What was also important to me was... It's a hundred years, so I really wanted. I'd, I like to think that once you've read the twenty chapters, it gives you a full history of the league. Mm. So there'll be times where I've tried to like squeeze pieces of information in, and hopefully manage to do that in a way that still that still flows quite nicely. Because I, I I want to do it in a different way, but I still want to tell that whole story. That was kind of the point all along. Yeah, I think that's really interesting when you look at. I mean, to, to draw parallels when you look at biographies or. or autobiographies of that matter where it is just a very linear chronological here's my childhood here's my teenage years here's my app you know there's a that can be very well executed but there's something i think more interesting in a, in a dynamic mix there where you, you're looking at um looking at a different way at telling the story and there's so much to to talk about i was fascinated about that actually so because a lot of it is thematic uh, using the games i guess as the, as the glue or as i say the jumping off point talk through us through the editing process of what you ended up deciding to talk about because some things are going to be no-brainers but I guess you must have had a longer list that you had to cut down yeah massively yeah and, and to be honest the, the best compliment I've had on the book yeah is that the publishers allowed me to write an extra 25,000 words and therefore for it to be an extra 100 pages once they'd read the manuscript right um, but that was still you know the best example of something I had to cut with a heavy heart is I spent a few days at NFL films um, in putting it together and I had a whole section on kind of the development of NFL films. Mm. And it just had to go at the end. And that was frustrating. But I would say for me, what was important was the best book I've read, and, and I'm biased because he's a friend of mine, uh, in best NFL book I've read is America's Game by Michael McCambridge. And what I took from that is how, in many ways, a great story can make an overall point. So an example would be, you know, at the end of the chapter on the catch, I basically, I got some footage from NFL films of Bill Walsh describing the play the night before to the team and being in that meeting room. So I kind of told the story from the perspective of being in the meeting room. And, and that story to me, as much as Bill Walsh, and he's broken down heavily at different parts of the book, mm. that really sums up Bill Walsh better than any... It's great for me to say Bill Walsh was amazing at preparation, but for him to be stood in front of the room identifying the exact time when they would use that play and how it would work and the foresight. Because, I mean, he basically predicted the exact circumstances in which they would run that play mm -hmm. and in which it, they would execute it. So I, I find that bit almost the most valuable process in terms of taking you to a very specific example that will then give you the wider context of, of who Bill Walsh was, who the 49ers were. So... Yeah, I mean, but yeah, there were lots that were missing. And, and the, the, the difficult part was, was, was narrowing the, the game list down to 20. I mean, mm. you know, the first London game isn't on there, which, is, which, which could be seen as a glaring omission. But ultimately... Well, for Clear Lemon fans all around the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that, it's mentioned in one of the chapters because the Giants literally knocked off the 18-0 periods at the end of that season. So I wasn't right. going to include both games. So 
so yeah I would say that was the tricky part and then maybe one yard short was the other one that I, I really wanted to get in but ultimately went with the Patriots Rams which allowed me to talk about that yes. that amazing postseason anyway so yeah I like to think I got the the right mix but I'm sure those people will, will disagree did it look a bit like, uh, you know, a cop movie, uh, or, you know, a kind of FBI, CA kind of movie where you had a giant wall with lots of <laughs> photos and arrows and postings all kind of pointing to each other? It, my, my notepad isn't a million miles off that. Um, an example would be um, the third chapter of the book is, uh, it's the Chicago Bears against the Portsmouth Spartans, which is basically the first ever NFL championship game, but it was unplanned. Two teams finished with identical records. The fact that they finished with identical records was, was hugely unlikely because Green Bay lost two games at the end of the season, that no, but three games at the end of the season that nobody expected them to lose. And they'd have won four championships in a row. So this is a huge game in the history of the NFL. Number one, it leads to championship games be, becoming a regular occurrence thereafter. Number two, they had to play it indoors because of a snowstorm at Wrigley Field. The field wasn't big enough, so they had to bring in a load of rules. So if a guy went out of bounds in the NFL before then, the play literally started right next to the out-of-bounds line. I mean, <laughs> think of that. It's insane. <laughs> so because of the, the, the fence around, they had to bring it in a bit, and that ended up creating hash marks and, and basically four or five crucial rule changes mm. developed from that game. So the story is, the chapter is, in essence, about that game. But 90% of that chapter is about the Packers. Yes. Because ultimately, they should have won four in a row that year. And the, the, the end to the story is that, you know, everybody was happy to see a new champion because the Packers had won the, the previous three. So that's how it can move in different directions. But I like to think really that sums up that period in the late, uh, late 1920s, early 1930s quite nicely as well. So, yeah, it was very much like an FBI. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple examples where information is in one chapter, which was previously in another, and it was like having a jigsaw almost. You could move the pieces around and, and ultimately try and fit them together. I think you'd make quite a decent cop, actually, if we were sort of having uh, a kind of transit. Because we j- joked about this with with our friends from around the NFL. We were out in Miami. We took a picture. We went, went out for a meal and took a picture with Greg, uh, Wes, and it, it looked like a transatlantic body cop movie. <laughs> so if we were going to extend that and all, uh, all different uh, figures in the, uh, in the NFL uh, broadcast scene, I think you'd, be, you'd definitely be, you play by the rules, Sherry, there'd be respect uh, there'd be respect there, but at the same time, you wouldn't be afraid to mix it up if you needed to to, to catch uh, the bag. Absolutely, that is that's that's nailed it. That's Perfect. basically. It. Um, you mentioned Bill Walsh, and uh, he obviously factors heavily as do, as do the the, the other two bills, uh, and that's something I want to talk about. Given your long-standing love for the Patriots, I mean that inevitably Belichick factors in greatly, but obviously because of the significancies uh, applied to, to the history of, of the NFL. Did you find, as you were deep diving on Parcells, on Belichick, on Walsh, did you find uh, commonality? Did you find certain things that connect them all? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly with, the, with these older great coaches. I mean, uh, coaching is, is kind of an obsession for me. If I write another book, it will probably be about coaching in some fashion. Um, you know, I think, I think what you saw in that era, and, and Belichick is the only one in the modern era, was, was these coaches with the ability to, um, to have an overall culture and an overall program, whereas now it's, it's very different to that. I mean, you know, you look at even the, the good ones like a Sean McVeigh, 
Um, you know, they're really concentrated on one side of the ball. And and in those, in, in, for those great coaches of previous years, it, it really wasn't that. And, and generally as well, they all touched heavily on the personnel side of things. You know, Walsh was great at, at, at talent evaluation and, and personnel. You know, in, in Lombardi's era, the coach was a lot more involved in that. Paul Brown as well. Mm. And, and Belichick is still that coach. Um, you know, and, and to be honest, I, 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 I go on about this a lot, but ultimately I do think in the NFL now we're in a place where I, I, there's an argument that Bill Belichick might be the last great true head coach in, in the traditional sense of what it, what it always was because you just don't see guys like that anymore. Frankly, and, and this is not me saying this because they're doing well right now, the only guy I see like that is, is Sean McDermott in terms of the young coaches in Buffalo where you can really see that he's went in with an overall blueprint and vision of what he wants to create. And, and I think that is increasingly rare in the modern NFL. Um, another guy I think will be like that is Matt Rule in Carolina who did, who did that so well in college. And, and with Belichick, what's interesting about him is his knowledge of all sides of the ball. Mm. And, and like the early chapter on Belichick really traces his journey through to working with his dad and, and the early jobs that he had. You know, he always talks about his defining early career moment was, was he was a low-rung coach and uh, low-rung staff member in Detroit and the head coach who hired him got fired. Mm. So Belichick gets kind of elevated just for this one-off season and and he spotted something on offense. Um, I think it was against the Patriots, actually, the previous year when he was in Baltimore, a formation that he thought could confuse their new 3-4 defense. And he says to the offensive coach, I really like this. I think this could work. And they end up having a massive upset in the game. And, you know, you look at Bill Belichick, the defining defensive mind maybe of all time, and his first ever impact really on an NFL field was offensively. And, and you see that all hmm. through his career, you know, from do when you do the reading, you see that the two tight end offense with Gronk and Hernandez, the Randy Moss offense. You know his fingerprints are all over that as much as the defensive side of the ball. So I think for me, it's that broader vision of what the whole program looks like that that links those those true great coaches together. It's and a great. Parcells was the same. You know, Belichick gets all the credit for Super Bowl twenty five against the Bills, that great defensive game plan. Parcells was the one who one encouraged him that that strategy which to any sane mind would seem ludicrous was fine <laughs> but then also building the wider game plan around that strategy you know they ran the to ball yeah they, they controlled it so I think that is what you don't see that's why Belichick's so much better than everybody else now because they're, they're able to look at the overall picture of a game another guy actually who I didn't mention modern days John Harbaugh I think is very similar to, to that mould in terms of game planning for specific games. Just on the, that point, and, and, and then we'll move on, the, if, if, if coaches aren't made like that anymore, what are the fundamental differences then in terms of how all those head coaches that you would define as a capable head coach in the modern NFL, in the 2020 NFL, but they don't have that characteristic of trying to define a, a, a uniformity, a blueprint across the organisation. Is it just really the, the sense of relinquishing control? Uh, or, or are you saying that, so let's take a, give me a head coach you respect in the NFL right now that you don't think is doing that. Oh, um, you know, I think lots of them. I think Matt LaFleur is, is very obviously an offensive coach and lets Mike Patin run the defense. And he's had a great start in terms of his career record. I mean, the difference between now and then is, is that apprenticeship program that mm. back then was two to three decades before you got a real shot as a head coach. And now it's, 
it's two years. I mean, mm. you know, let's think now about a, a coordinator who's having a really good year this year, um, right at the start of his career. Yeah, Joe Brady. Great example, Joe Brady in Carolina, who was great at LSU, years to be fair. Yeah, he absolutely will be an NFL head coach in the next two or three years if Carolina play well. I mean, we all know that. Bill Belichick um, became the Giants' defensive coordinator officially in the mid-'80s. They won a Super Bowl not long after that, and then it's another four or five years of them having one of the best defences in football for him to get a head coaching job. You know, it took him years to become a coordinator. Bill Walsh, journeyman coach, he's in Cincinnati under Paul Brown as the offensive coordinator for a number of years, thinks he's going to get that job doesn't get it, then finds himself out of the NFL briefly and eventually has to work his way back in. And eventually it's a surprise when he gets the San Francisco job. Mm. Vince Lombardi, probably for different reasons, but was a great offensive coordinator for the Giants for a number of years before he got his chance. Now, Lombardi, there might have been some discrimination because of the kind of Italian roots um, as it existed in those days. But, but I do think generally it's that lack of apprenticeship served, you know, the only guy I can think of the great head coaches who had a, a quick-fire route into it was Don Shuler, who was a head coach, you know, just a few years after playing with the Baltimore Colts. Um, you know, he was just a great coach from day one. But as a general rule, it takes, it takes a development program around you. And ultimately, you know, why I like Matt Rule is if you look back at his career, he has coached basically every position group, including offense, defense. And, you know, that's what Belichick did as well. Maybe not officially on offense, but certainly worked with the offense at the start, then made his name in defense and special teams. And, and I just think that's the difference is guys aren't given, they're not given enough time to learn the job. Really. It's, not, it's not rounded. It's, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating uh, position. I love this quote on Belichick, uh, uh, early era Belichick, the, the seeds of genius chapter, which um, uh, as you'd imagine, talks about uh, the development of, of Belichick. Uh, in the early stages of him coaching, he looked like the geek trying to live a frat boy's life, sporting shaggy brown hair and an unathletic frame, which betrayed a playing career that peaked in high school and never got started at Wesleyan College. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, that's who he was. Amazing. Um, it's you funny can... to look back at him now. I mean, you know, everybody talked about the way he looked last week, although he's had some personal issues, to be fair. But, yeah, I mean, he's very much always been the guy that he is right now, I think we'd say. Yeah, it's uh, the other quote I, I loved going back to um, the chapter I mentioned earlier. Actually, the the of course I went straight to the name of <laughs> the name of the chapter uh, uh, is uh, the uh, origins of that uh, the now infamous legendary quote. The guarantee, hence the chapter. I guarantee it. We're going to win Sunday. I guarantee you. Uh, was um, what Namath had said to a reporter. And as he pointed out, uh, <laughs> this is great, lips freed by his old friend, Johnny Walker. <laughs> Immediately preceding that line, Namath had said, I'd like to personally thank all the single girls in New York for their contribution. <laughs> uh, start, uh, I mean, he's like a well, Like, what a character. He was the one, I'd say if, if there was a list of people who I never got to interview that I was really disappointed that he'd have been top of it. Um, well, let's get into that because that's a beautiful segue into my next question. Though it was a quick side note, I love the photo of him you've got in here post Super Bowl, just being interviewed, just sitting down on the floor in his boxes <laughs> against the wall. The reporters kind of leading up to him, brilliant stuff. Um, so, who is the yeah kind of twofold question here? Who would you have loved to interview that you couldn't, and who was your favourite interview? Uh, I mean. Namath, Belichick and Brady are the three. Um, there was a spell where I thought I was going to get Brady and, and it just never happened, which oh. was annoying. Um, 
So Belichick yeah, they, should, have they, tapped up, um, should have tapped up Carlson for Belichick, surely. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, the thing with Belichick is, like, I genuinely believe if I could have got in front of him the questions that I wanted to ask him, it might have, it might have happened because I really wasn't mm. interested. I didn't want to ask about, you know, what happened with Spygate or Deflakegate or anything yeah. like that. I wanted to ask about growing up with his dad and, and, and those kind of things. So... Um, and it's so a, you see that, don't you, Matt? In the, at the Super Bowl, you see when he's asked, a, you know, particularly the Super Bowl when there's so much ridiculousness. When he's asked a serious football question, you know, you just see that spark go in his eyes, and he, and he, and he t- takes it seriously. So I think he would have loved chatting to you about it. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, all the interviews were like that. I mean, if I, I, I spoke to Bill Paulian for ninety minutes, and after ten, just kind of tossed me notebook aside and thought, you've got. You've got unlimited time with Bill Pauly in here. Just ask him, just ask him questions you want to know the answer to. Learn about the game, like, mm. and that was what it became. Um, and then he brilliantly gave me another hour where he just explained the whole mechanisms of the general manager job to me, which was probably one of the best hours of my life. So, so yeah, I mean, I, like you say, I was disappointed with those. Do you know the top two on my list, and I got one of them laid on were Doug Williams and and Joe Namath. So. Mm. I was over the moon to get Williams over the line. Um, the best interview by it, well, no, there's two actually. Uh, I interviewed Jerry Rice on first time for an hour and a half, which was the most surreal 90 minutes of my life. Um, <laughs> and then Terry Bradshaw, man, just what a guy. He, again, was about 90 minutes and he just ended the interview by saying, there's my number. If you ever need me, give me a call. Um, oh, legend. You know, I'll, I'll try and answer any questions. And if I can't remember, I'll just make some good stuff up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> legend. Um, it is, I guess, in a way, it's probably a good thing you did interview Namath because I get, I, I could be, it could be one of those ones that, you know, never meet your heroes. It, yeah. It, you know what I mean with Namath? I think he's one of them. Like, uh, I've been told that it completely depends what day you catch him on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> Big time. I, I think as well, like, do you know what amazed me, actually? And, and, you know, we all fear for the future of the games at times with kind of CTA and everything like that. But I interviewed some of the older players like Boyd Dowler, Dave Robinson from the Packers, you know, and their recall is astonishing. I mean, as somebody who often forgets what he's done the day before, I just find it <laughs> insane. Um, Marvelling at it. Um, yeah. I was disappointed with one omission, actually, because you know, and I appreciate you saying you had to. It was hard to, to, to distill it down to, to twenty games, um, but the Ravens Bengals um, from Week One, two thousand and seven, Monday Night Football. My uh, my first uh, live broadcast, uh, Matt Sherry. Didn't that didn't? Mate, if I'd have known that, it would have been top of the list. Um, do you know what the do you know the, do you know what game I very nearly included, hmm. which uh, would have been a, a controversial choice. Monday Night Football, Chip Kelly's first ever game against Washington RG3 is one of the most exhilarating two hours of football I've ever watched in the first half of that. And, and as much as Chip Kelly never worked out in the NFL, I do think there are certain things that you can draw from that game when you look at the modern NFL and how he did have a real impact. Um, Not to use flashcards being there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, honestly, that one, was, that one was, was on my list, but probably wouldn't have been on many. I mean... I think one thing that irritates me is that there's, it ends on three Patriots games, mm. but it's just impossible to know. To avoid that, right? Yeah. How, how do you avoid that? Um, you know, and one of them is probably their worst ever night. So I think mm. that balances it out. Yeah, exactly. There's yin and yang. Uh, I guess as well, what you could look at in the same way you've got America's Game has the missing rings as its spin-off series. You can look at a, yeah, a follow-up book for the games that, did, that didn't make the cut. Yeah. What is going to be your follow-up? What, you mentioned you might want to me on coaching. What have you got lined up? 
No, nothing at the moment. I've, I've had a few ideas. I mean, I was going to write a book on the Patriots, but I know Jeff Benedict has just released one, and I can't, I can't compete with a guy being embedded with the team for three years. Mm. Um, you know, I had a, I had a, I'd started bits of that. Um, I had a really nice prologue written. I was very happy with, uh, with Joanne Drewsy, um, who, I don't know if you remember, but after 9-11, the game where Brady comes in, Andrewsy mm. and his brothers, who were firefighters in New York, ran under the field. Ah, of course. Yeah. Um, so that would have been it. But yeah, I'm just, I'm very, I'm just starting this new job. It's, it's not a good time. But I'd love to write a book on Belichick and Saban. I think, mm. but that <laughs> might be idea. again another one for down the line. I just find the idea that the two greatest coaches of all time in those respective areas have been best friends since they were like in their twenties. And, and knew each other before it all started is just a mad, insane story that could only happen in, in football, probably. And have managed to, for the majority of that, avoid too much clashing yeah. when they're at their peak, right? So they just own different, it's like mob bosses just only <laughs> carving up <laughs> the city. You know, Especially, you know, when, when Saban goes to Miami, you think, bloody hell, this is going to last go. the, the rivalry. And then it just ends as quick as it starts. And now they just live this lovely life and there's that very odd thing of them never winning championships at this in the same year which is just bizarre like every they never i didn't realize that they've never i don't know whether whether they've never i don't think they have but certainly in the last few years there was a spell where between the two of them they'd won a championship in like x number of years running but never on the same year so it turned out that if alabama didn't win the national title the patriots would win the same well (laughs) <laughs> so basically watch what happens to the college championship if Alabama don't win pile all your money on the Patriots oh, get worried yeah absolutely this season right um, uh, any given Sunday the NFL's epic 100 year history in 20 uh, games available uh, at Amazon and all good booksellers I'm guessing Matt yeah absolutely yeah on the Gridiron website as well but yeah it's in Waterstones Amazon all the usual places uh, we will put some links out to it across our social uh, channels as well. And make congratulations. When you first told me about it, as I say, I was thinking, wow, that sounds uh, terrific and, and sounds like a, a serious piece of work. It absolutely is and has lived up to that. So you should be very proud of that, man. And we're looking forward to the next one. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And yeah, enjoy the season. I've had, last two weeks have been epic, haven't they? Oh, man. I mean, uh, we were in the, in the in studio for radio with, uh, with one of your Gridiron crew, of course, Will Gavi, who um, is part of the, uh, the TalkSport uh, coverage as well. And I think within, and Greg Brady was on week one, I think within about an hour of the games being on, we just all pretty much said at the same time, my God, it is just brilliant to have football back. And uh, there's nothing better, I think, than that feeling at around 6.45 on a Sunday, whether you're watching it at home, whether you're broadcasting it, whatever, however you're consuming it, uh, it is back, it is relentless, uh, and, and is absolutely living up to uh, everything we expected and needed right now. We need that and we need Springsteen's album. We're getting both, Matt. So life oh, is that's good. wonderful. And also, like, I'm on TalkSport every time Will's on because ultimately he just regurgitates what I say to him in WhatsApp channels <laughs> on the radio. So. I was, he was looking at his phone an awful lot, actually. That makes, <laughs> makes a huge amount of sense. Well, listen, mate, great uh, to chat to you. Thanks for coming and talking uh, to us about your book. Come back and talk some football later on in the season, yeah? Yeah, well, mate, anytime. Good to catch up, bro. Take care. Brilliant stuff. Thanks indeed to Matty. Thanks to Rob. Two terrific guests, as I said they would be. We are back later on this week with our week four preview. Phoebe Schechter in the house. Uh, Looking forward to getting into some big games with her. If you haven't already, subscribe to us and you won't miss a trick. See you Friday. Bye for now.
Social Podcast Network.